Good evening, everyone. It's kind of weird to put ashes on your body. Um, I didn't come from that tradition, so um, in reminding and really thinking of our mortality and death, you know, death is a taboo subject that we don't really like to think about. Um, There's a finality to it that really scares us, and we use terms to really mask that finality, that, that, that way by, by saying pass away, someone's passed away, or when people get really clinical, they say they expired, or they're no longer with us. And it, it really softens this idea that, that they have died. And as a Marine, and now as a pastor, I've seen death many times. And the first time I really understood the concept of death was when I was a young boy. And I had this pet rabbit, and I loved this rabbit, and um, I didn't always feed the rabbit like I should. I mean, I was a little boy, and I didn't really think about those things, and I would often race home from school, and I would take the rabbit out of the cage, and I would play with this rabbit for hours, and one day I raced home from school, and I went to the cage, and um, the rabbit wasn't there. She was gone, and I figured maybe my sister had taken the rabbit out, or I didn't know. Um, I saw my mom come towards me with this really somber look on her face, and she had told me that the rabbit had died of an infection. I remember uh, I raced out of the house, crying, tears all over the place, and refusing to believe that she had died. And I didn't want to think about the fact that maybe because I I didn't take care of her the way I should have, that might have contributed to her death. Um, I looked for comfort and mercy from, from really anywhere, and anyone that would give it to me. Death had come and I had refused to look at it face to face. And as Christians, we were called to embrace our mortality, live a life of repentance, and pursue the mercy of the cross. But let's face it, most of the time, we avoid our mortality. We live life of excuses, and we seek comfort and mercy from distractions, unhealthy relationships, or things that will lead to a fate worse than physical death. The title of tonight's message is Repent or Perish. And just as Pastor Marcus read, it is in Luke 13, and it's in your bulletin as well. I just want to give you a little context as we start. Jesus is in the midst of his ministry, and he's moving towards Jerusalem. He's moving towards the cross. And he knows that he'll be crucified. And as he gets closer to to Jerusalem, his teachings become more poignant. They become more hardcore, especially as it pertains to the coming judgment of God and our need to repent. So tonight what I want to do is I want to look at the two calls that we receive and we think about in Ash Wednesday and then the two responses of Ash Wednesday. So let us pray and ask God to bless this time. Father, we thank you for this time that we get to reflect on our mortality and your mercy. We entreat you by your Holy Spirit to teach us the things that we do not know. Open our hearts. May this be a time of reflection, a a time that um, we engage the things that we often don't like to engage. So be with us. Grant us your mercy in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first call of Ash Wednesday is a call for individual repentance. 
And as we look at this scripture, we see that Jesus mentions two tragedies that happened. We see in verse 1, now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And we don't know too much about this, this tragedy in scripture, but outside of scripture we read that um, there, was, there was these sacrifices that were happening these Jewish, these Jewish um, religious ceremonies, and Pilate, as the governor of, of the region, was, was trying to keep order, and there was oftentimes fighting between the Jews and the Romans and, and these insurrections that would happen. And so it appears that the Roman soldiers go in there during the midst of this, this, this sacrifice, this religious ceremony, and slay these Galileans. And so we see that this is, this is a tragedy um, brought on by human agency. And then we read in verse 4 that there was this tower in Siloam that fell on people. This tower we, we read in extra-biblical material was a tower, a construction project that Pilate was, was, uh, was, it was commissioned to improve the water system in Rome. And somehow this just fell. It fell over and it killed people. So Jesus brings up these two tragedies, and then he gives us these two questions. He says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? And then in verse 4, he says, do you think that um, they, they being the people who died in Siloam of the tower, were more guilty than the others living in Jerusalem? And these are rhetorical questions, and they're rhetorical and they addressed two wrong assumptions the Jews had. The first wrong assumption was that tragedy was a judgment of God for only sinful people. That bad things only happen to bad people. And the second wrong assumption of the Jews was a lack of tragedy in your life meant you were righteous. That you were doing things really good. And these were backed up by a false theology that was, was being um, taught during that day. And, and Jesus encountered this numerous times in the gospel, and we see the run-ins with, with the Pharisees on that. And when we think about this, we say, well, those are ridiculous assumptions. But these assumptions are alive today. There are some that think that if something bad happens to you, it's because we don't have enough faith. Or we weren't positive enough. We, we call that the prosperity gospel. And some of us have an a, a undertone of pro prosperity gospel that we live by, that we just need to speak it into existence and it'll happen. But more often, we, we, we that proclaim the gospel of grace, we really, off of this, we really operate off a, a works righteousness mentality. And this is how it usually operates in my life. I mess up something, I do something wrong, and I expect the other shoe to drop. I'm like, here it comes, God's going to punish me because I did this thing wrong. But if I do a bunch of things right, then God's going to reward me. And I, I have this internal balance of scales that I have to fight against it. And you see, when we start living by this works righteousness and we start doing good things, we start volunteering, we start serving for that, that scale to be in, in one side so we won't experience tragedy, we start to develop this sense that we deserve a good life. We deserve a tragedy-free life. And so when tragedy then strikes us, we respond horribly. We respond horribly. Forget how sinful we really are apart from Christ. 
We forget how holy God is. And it usually manifests itself in this. We often ask ourselves when in the midst of this tragedy that, that is on us or we see happening, we say, we, it's a question that we usually ask is, why do bad things happen to good people? That's usually how it manifests itself. And the wrong assumption here is that we are righteous before a holy God in and of ourselves. But that's not what the Bible tells us. And we never really ask the appropriate question. The appropriate question is this, why does God allow so much good to people that are so defiant towards him? That's really the real question. So how does Jesus respond to his own rhetorical question? Well, Jesus says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will also perish. He says, no, they weren't um, sinful, more sinful than anyone else. He's saying all have, fallen, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says we're all on, on level playing field. But he really doesn't address the issue of why they died or why God allowed it to happen. You see, Jesus doesn't address the issue. Issues were not created in the image of God. People were made in the image of God. And his point is, is that time is short and we're all going to die. And the proper response to tragedy is to repent. It's to turn 180 degrees that we're, that we're traveling away from God and pursue Christ. Pursue Christ's likeness. Pursue holiness. Now, I don't know about you, but my kids are, are grown up now, but when my kids were younger and I asked them to clean their room, um, my daughter Madison was the best at this. She would say, room's clean, Dad. And you'd walk into the room and you'd be like, wow, it's clean. And then you would look under her bed. And you would find trash, you would find cups, then you would open a drawer and you'd be like, there's dirty clothes in this drawer, what is going on? But on the outside, everything looked good. And many of us have hidden places in our lives. Things look great on the outside, but we're a total mess. And today is the day to get right before God and experience the freedom of his grace found in Jesus Christ alone. That is the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is, is that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are separated from God. And we deserve God's wrath because we are defiant towards him. But God doesn't leave us in that state. He actually sends his only son, God himself in the flesh, and walks and lives a perfect and righteous life. And he's nailed to a cross. And he dies. And three days later, he is resurrected to life. And we put our faith and trust in him. We are destined for eternal life. But not only that, we are made righteous. Christ's righteousness is now imputed, given to us. So when God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And doesn't see all that mess. And so we're called to repent and embrace this gospel. And when we embrace it, we're called to live a life of repentance. Remembering the gospel. So this is a call to individual repentance. Secondly, we see a call, the second call of Ash Wednesday is a call for corporate repentance. Now this is a hard concept for us to understand, but as a church, as a people of God, we have a corporate identity. A corporate identity of people that have been saved by the blood of Christ. And here Jesus addresses our corporate identity in, in, in the way of a parable, in a story. And he talks about this, this man 
who has this vineyard and this fig tree and this vine worker. And it's like, what is he talking about? And we read in verse 6, a man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard. And he went to look for fruit on it, but found, didn't find any. And he said to the man who, who took care of the vineyard, for three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? So what does this mean? Well, in vineyards, you would, you would put fig trees. Fig trees help the soil. They also produce pollinators, pollinating bugs that would help the, the vineyard. And it usually would take about three years for a fig tree to bear fruit. And in a theological way, the fig trees often represented Israel. We see that in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament context, a fig tree is the church. We see this man. This man represents God who plants this church, this people, in this vineyard, this world, to make it better, to change the environment. And then we see this caretaker who cares for this fig tree, who cares for the vineyard, which is Christ. And so what does this mean? This is a call for the church to repent. So what do we need to repent of? Well, we need to repent of our consumerism. Verse 7 says, why should you use up the soil? Why should you use up the soil? I mean, I, I plant you there, and you're not producing anything. You're just taking up the soil. You're taking up the nutrients of the soil, and you're just taking and taking and taking and producing nothing. And we often imitate the consumeristic culture that we've been redeemed to save. And instead of serving others and changing the culture and rendering all things to Christ, we consume and we commodify others and we blend into the culture. And that's not what we're meant to do. We're supposed to repent of, of not loving God and loving others and making disciples as we ought to because we fear man instead of fearing God. Again, we're called to be that fig tree that's attracting the, these pollinators, and then these pollinators come and are sent out to the vineyard and change things. We're called to bring people in and, 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 and bring forth the glory of God and make disciples of all nations and then deploy them and mobilize them to bring the gospel hope to the whole world. That's what we're called here. That's what we're called to do. We're called to change the soil, the, the, the soil of the culture around us. When we lived in California, Eric and I had this, these apple trees. And there was one apple tree that, um, it started bearing really weird fruit, like not healthy fruit. And it started attracting really gross bugs. And it was, the fruit wasn't good for anything, except I spent hours having to pick it up once it fell down, and there was just bugs everywhere, and the tree would start to wither away, and we just came to the point and said, this is wasting water, this is wasting time, let's just cut it down. And we see here, if we don't repent and take seriously the call of this church, the call of this corporate identity of God's church, we'll be judged for it. That's what this idea of cut it down and so the point Jesus is making here is time is short and God has placed this fig tree, free Christian church, here at this time for his eternal purposes. And this is a call for the church to be the church regardless of the consequences in this life. So this is a corporate calling of doing life together for the glory of God. So these are the calls. Now what about the responses? 
Well, the first thing we see is God's response is the mercy of the cross. So we have this need. We're sinful people. We need to repent, and God responds with mercy. See, God is just, but on the other side of that just, justice, he is merciful. And we are called to seek the mercy of the cross of Christ. And, and when we repent, he gives us grace. So God's response is, is the mercy, is the mercy of his son Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and we see that there is protection in the cross. We see in verse 8, Sir, the man replied, the man being the vine worker, Christ, leave it alone for one more year. Leave it alone for one more year. You see, when Christ was on that cross, he bore the wrath of the Father for us. We no longer need to bear the wrath of the Father that we deserve because Christ has bore it. We see the care of the cross. I'll just I'll dig around it. We see that the caretaker will dig around. It's, it's this idea that he'll dig around and be very careful not to injure the roots of this fig tree that is not producing. And Christ cares for us. He is tender with us. This isn't a call to wag your finger. He's not wagging his finger. He's opening his arms. He's saying, repent. Come. And he cares. We see the empowerment of the cross. He says, then I'll fertilize it. And in, and in this context, the idea of fertilizing a fig tree was ludicrous because you didn't have to fertilize a fig tree. But Jesus is saying, I'll fertilize it. I'll fertilize this, this church. I'll fertilize this people of God. And we see that we have been given all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. There's nothing we lack. So this is a call to embrace the way of the cross. Sacrificially bearing fruit for the glory of God on our front lines. It is embracing the individual and collective call to lose your life so you could gain it. To bear your cross and to be salt and light to those that have no hope and are perishing. You see, when we had that apple tree in California, we also had this lemon tree. And this lemon tree, you could hack this thing down and it would grow and still bear fruit. As a matter of fact, my mom lives in the house and she did hack it down. And guess what? That thing's busting through rocks. You can't get rid of it. It's still bearing fruit. And we embrace the cross of Christ and understand the mercy and grace we received in Christ. Nothing can stop us because we are in Christ forever. And the mercy of God shines brightest when it is reflected off the cross of Christ. And this should just drive us to our knees when we understand who we are apart from Christ. And what God has given us by the cross. Now when you walked in, you received this little cross. And I want you to take it and put it in your hand. And I just want you to, I just want you to trace it with your thumb or with your finger. And as you do this, I want you to understand that the cross, the cross is God's declaration of God's mercy. This is his declaration of mercy that's saying it is finished, it is done. And you could either embrace and live, or you could reject and perish. And this is something we all must choose in this life. So what about the second response? I said there was two responses, but what about the second response? Well, the second response is how are you going to respond to this? How are you going to respond? 
In a moment, I'm going to ask you just to sit in your seat and spend time with God quietly. I'm going to invite Tiffany to come up here. And as she plays, I'm going to have a question that is going to be on the screen. And I just want you to meditate on that. This is just between you and God. Just pray in your head, pray in your seat. And as you do that, I want you to look at the cross. Just look at the cross that's up there. I want you to grab the cross that you have in your hand. And I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine Jesus is standing before you. His eyes are looking into the deepest part of your soul. You see their eyes and they're piercing into your soul. You know that he, he knows everything you've ever done or have ever thought. Even right now, he knows what you're thinking. And as you stare at Christ, your eyes momentarily get distracted as you see his pierce-marked hands. And as you stare, he calls your name. And when he calls your name, it's wonderfully haunting. He calls you in a way that you've never heard it before. He calls you in a way that you know that he truly knows you, that no one else knows you by. Then he speaks to you and he says, I know all things. I knitted you in your mother's womb. Stop trying to conceal what, what is hidden. Step out of the darkness into the light. My beloved, my bride, confess and you will be forgiven. Repent and I will respond. So what I want you to just go before God is this question. What in your life do you need to crucify, abandon, and nail to the cross of Christ? Time is short. Let us go before God, just us and God at this time.